Sweet, sweet worship. All right, we have begun Second uh, Timothy, working our way through Second um, Timothy, looking at some final reminders that uh, that Paul, uh, spiritual father to Timothy, is giving to Timothy in the close of his life—not the close of Timothy's life, in the close of Paul's life. So we're we're trying to look at this. Obviously, these are significant words. And so uh, we want to take our time and really kind of work through what is the, the meat of what Paul was saying to Timothy because at the close of his life as he's writing what is probably uh, either his last letter or among his last letters to a young uh, called believer who Paul has invested in a lot of hours and time and ministry and they've ministered together. What would he say to him at the close of his life? So we're looking at the, the, that with that kind of significance. Uh, hopefully you see that, that that gives a special kind of uh, significance to this, this passage or this letter. Uh, so what is Paul saying to Timothy at the close of his life? Well, one of the things that we talked about last week and we discussed in live groups, which I thought the discussions went very well. We didn't get very far in the two that I went to this week. Uh, just one, one or two questions and everybody took off. Because we all have some of what, to a certain degree, some of what uh, Timothy had. And that is a spiritual heritage. <coughs> all of us have some of what he had. Uh, because you're here, and you're a part of this congregation. You're, you're plugged in to whatever degree you are. And so you, you have at least had uh, a spiritual father. Uh, not because I'm older than you. Just because I'm called to be that. Uh, still very young, but the spiritual father who is, uh, and spiritual father, by the way, don't have to be old, right? They just have to be in love with God and willing to be used by God and called by God, which we'll find is true about Timothy. Uh, but Timothy uh, was, was a spiritual son, and so Paul had poured a lot into his life, and so he said, remember that. Don't forget what all I poured into your life. It's going to be significant for you as you move forward. Uh, because you're gonna, you're gonna be, we're gonna see today. He he, he was forewarned uh, again that the the persecution he was receiving from religious people in his community was going to continue. And so the 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 the, the community, particularly the religious folks in Ephesus, were were giving him a lot of grief. And we know what that feels like to a certain degree. All of us have some of that, and we'll continue to have some of that. And so uh, Paul wants him to remember what he's learned. Hold to the teachings that I've given to you. And and not and holding to them that means not just remembering them in your minds, but walk them out. Don't forget to do that. But also, Paul, you had a heritage, a rich heritage in your family, in your mother and grandmother, uh, Lois and Eunice, and so they've taught you some things, and uh, they particularly have taught you the Word of God. We know that from chapter four. We'll we'll read that later on as we get to it. But that uh, since he was a child, they were were raising him up in the Scriptures, and so. You guys have that as well. Some of you at, at very varying degrees, and, uh, and, and you need to remember that. Remember what you've learned. Now, it doesn't mean we always remember everything that we've learned and hold to it. Uh, some of the things that were brought up this week in small groups was that uh, some of the things that we got, we got from, if you will, our, our uh, pagan side, which uh, Timothy had one of those too. He had a father who was a Gentile, not a believer, uh, so uh, his mother was a believer, and his grandmother was, but he also had that to draw from. But, it, but draw from that. 
And some of us talked about things we're going to avoid in our lives as a result of our heritage, right? As a result of how we were brought up. Things that were, ways we're going to be different. And I think all of us have some of that as well. It's kind of what draws us together, uh, or has drawn us together, is things that we're trying to detox from, get out of, uh, this bondage to uh, legalism, for instance, which we'll talk about again today. All right, so Paul says, Timothy, look, there's some things I want you to remember at the close of my life. And one of those things is don't forget your heritage. Don't forget what I poured into your life as a spiritual father. Don't forget the scripture that you were raised in. All right, then we pick up in chapter 2, or in chapter 1, verse 8, where we left off last week. And one other thing that Paul wants to tell Timothy today is he says, don't forget the, sim- the simple message of the gospel, the, the life-transforming, powerful but simple message of the gospel. All right, that's going to be something you, you, ha- you need to constantly remind yourself of. There's a common uh, phrase that's being used nowadays among millennials particularly that's saying we need to continue to preach the gospel to ourselves. Paul's saying that to Timothy. Keep preaching the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself how simple the gospel is because you're going to have opposition that's going to try and complicate things. There are religious people around you, Sadducees, Pharisees, um, uh, any other kinds of Cs that are going to be pushing you and trying to get you to believe to add to the simplicity of the gospel. And if you do, it will only take away from the power of that gospel. And so don't, Uh, don't forget the simplicity of the gospel. And while we're at it, uh, Timothy, show the gospel in your life. Matter of fact, let your response to those people who who are telling you that you're wrong, let your response to them demonstrate the gospel. I think that's going to be the challenge today for most of us is as we face people who say, no, it's more complicated than what you're making it, you're not following the list of rules, Uh, you're not having the right experiences, whatever, you're not getting the right results, that's going to cause some of us to not want to respond in the gospel. And Paul tells Timothy clearly in our passage today that that's what we need to do. That'll be the focus of today, all right? Remember the gospel. So let's read it together, verses 8 through 18 of chapter 1, 2 Timothy. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us by a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day that which has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Philegulus, that guy, Philegulus, and Hermogenes, Hermogenization. Uh, May the Lord grant mercy 
to the household of Onesiphorus. For he often, I just want to do that to make y'all, I know how to pronounce these names, of course, in the original language. I'll just make y'all feel good about reading. So anyway, among them were P and H, and may the Lord grant mercy to the household of O. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. All right, so here's what he says. He starts off with a therefore. And we see a therefore. We've got to find out what it's therefore. So therefore, uh, based on what we just read in the first seven verses of Second uh, Timothy, since God did not give us a spirit in that very verse, verse before it, since God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and self-control, do not be ashamed of the testimony. All right, so since, what he's saying is, since God did not give us a, power, a spirit of fear, I know you guys, uh, he's, he, he's saying, I know you guys tend to be fearful, but God didn't give you that spirit. When people are opposing you and coming in with, with doctrine that's contrary to what you have learned, what you've been taught, when people come in with that kind of doctrine and those kinds of teachings that's contrary to the word that Paul has taught Timothy, then I know that the fear that you think that you're beginning to feel is not of God. But what is from God is that power and that love that God gives you, that that the Holy Spirit gives you and enables you to have power and love and self-control. So use that. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Look, there was a threat of suffering awaiting Timothy. There's no doubt about it. He had already suffered. Uh, this was probably a year after Paul gave his first letter to Timothy that we already worked our way through. So he's been suffering at the hands of those who are spiritual giants in the community of, uh, of Ephesus, those who are... Uh, the spiritual leaders, the Sadducees and Pharisees and teachers of the law and scribes who are saying this is the way it still is. And they're, they're contradicting the simplicity of the gospel. And so they're facing, he's facing persecution. And Paul says, look, this is the way that you do what I told you to do in the first part of this letter. This is the way that you continue to uh, remember and walk in the things that I've taught you is when you have fear and you're facing opposition, the way to respond to that is to let the Spirit take control. Walk in what I told you. Look, I've suffered. Paul is saying, I've suffered, and the people in Asia have left me behind because everybody's saying, look, he's not following God. Look at how he's suffering. And, and his own people were, were, were leaving him, those that he was counting on, uh, like he's counting on Timothy in this case. People who heard clearly the word that God had for, him, for them. People who understood clearly the truth of the gospel and, then, and their lives have been transformed by that. We're now turning back to those religious people and those religious rules and regulations. And Paul said, man, I'm suffering because of it, uh, because of that, because I'm not going to change my message. I'm going to stand true to this message of the gospel and people are going to continue to persecute me. And so these people have left me by myself. I know a little bit about what that feels like, just a little bit. I I've, have had that in my ministry when God's called me to give a message that's clear from the word of God to have 40 
at, at one time, 40 liters walk out. It's heart-wrenching when that happens. Now, I wasn't facing persecution like he was, obviously. There was no physical persecution. I wasn't in prison because of it, but I felt that. And, and you know, I, I feel this tension. Can y'all feel it with me, this tension that Paul is feeling of, look, I, God has called us to do something here as the Gathering Place West. There's a message that God has for this community it is different than the majority of the religious leaders in this community. Not unbiblical, just different than traditional southern Bible Belt teaching and practice. Everybody gets that, right? And as we walk in that, some people are going to walk away. And it, it, it never is easy for me to watch people walk away. But... I'm saying, church, just like Paul's saying to Timothy, don't forget this. Remember what God said to you. Remember what you've experienced of God in the truth and hold to it in the face of opposition. Don't give up on it. Now, how do we not give up on it? What's the the key to that? I love what we were singing this morning. I'll just take that from my illustration and replace the, the one I had. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at how the gospel message, not just the message as in the words and not even just in the meaning of it, but our own experience in the truth of the gospel. Everybody with me? Say, oh, yeah. All right. Man, get alert because this is, this is where it's going to I've asked God to grab your heart today, and I'm changing my illustration. I think this is what we need to hear. But grab this. How the truth of the gospel, if we get it in our hearts, we really understand it. If we've had that transferring that, uh, of the old, dead, cold heart of stone that's been taken out of us and the heart of flesh has been given to us and his spirit lives inside of us and we're walking with him and we're obeying him and we're constantly getting to know him in deeper ways through our obedience. If you're that person and you're doing that, you have enough. You have all you need to face opposition in the right attitude, in the right way. You have all you need to face people who are, who are opposed to you without ever even getting bothered by it. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Song we sung, I've sung growing up all my life. It's the story of Samuel and Israel taking Israel to, into battle by God's command. They go into battle and they rout, totally routed the Philistine army. I mean, just annihilated the army. And they, they uh, built this stone altar and called it Ebenezer to represent what God did in that moment. But if you, don't, if you haven't read the whole story, 20 years earlier, the Israelites were routed by the Philistines in that same place. Now, do you think the Israelites got a message from that? Think with me. Keep your brains on. All right? I think probably when they built the altar, they said, okay, this is an altar to say God did here what we couldn't do 20 years ago. Right? In the same way that they built an altar when they crossed the Jordan River. Uh, because 20, uh, 40 years ago, they couldn't even go across the river because nobody had enough faith to believe that God could give them the land. And so they build altars to remember. And what are they remembering? They're remembering that God does it all. God did all of it. It wasn't them. 
Now, how does that make a difference? If somebody was to say, you can't cross that river, Jordan, and you can't take Jericho and all these other lands, do the people need to get upset about that? Do they need to get mad and say, yes, we can, because we did it back whenever, you know, quit talking about it, you know. Do they have to get mad about it? No, they don't have to get mad about it. There should be a quiet confidence, right? And not only that, but a a sincere love for those people to say, man, why don't you all come with us? Because what we're saying, we're going into the land of Jericho. But you all can't go into the land of Jericho. God's not going to be with you. Remember what he did 20 years ago, 40 years ago? No, God's with us. We've seen his power. We know his power. There's nothing that can stop you when you got it in your heart. And you know that you know that you know that God can speak to you, God can guide you, and that when you obey what he says, God accomplishes his purpose in your life, and nobody can stop it. I don't need anybody to convince me that my teaching is right. I don't need anybody to believe uh, to, to convince me that what the Bible says is true and that the gospel is true and that it changes lives because he's changed my life. I know that I know that I know and, and that's what Paul wants us to, to get out of this. That's what he's saying to Peter here. He's saying in the face of people who oppose the gospel, there's some powerful attributes of the Spirit that make all the difference. And the powerful attributes of the Spirit are love, uh, power, and self-control. In the face of opposition, love, power, and self-control. Now, he says, remember the opposition. Look at, look at this is the opposition he's talking about in verse uh, 13 and 14 of this passage. He says, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good news, uh, the good deposit entrusted to you. So that's the opposition he's facing. It's not a, he's not talking about physical opposition. He's not talking about uh, being arrested or any kind of other persecution. What he's talking about in this case is the message. You're going to face opposition just because you stay focused on the gospel. That is, that we're all deprived and sinful. Jesus died to take our sins away. And God gives, him, gives us a free gift of salvation through Christ. His blood is atoned for our sins. God gives us his righteousness completely as a gift, imputed righteousness. Takes our sins and puts them on Jesus. Takes his righteousness and puts it on us. And so now we are made perfect in God's sight and we can be back in fellowship with him and walk in that. Nobody has to convince us that that's true. But there are people that are trying to add to it still to this day. Oh, that's right. Yeah, there's some pillars of the gospel, but make sure you follow all the rules. Make sure you have these set experiences in addition to that in order to make that uh, you know, viable and real for you. And make sure you have the right theology about all these little uh, petty doctrines that don't make any difference whatsoever. These doctrines that Paul said uh, not to dispute over. And yet we spend all of our time disputing over things that don't matter. And we let them separate us. Paul says, you don't even have to argue. Stay focused on the simple simplicity of the gospel. So the pattern of sound words, 
that he heard from Paul is what he's talking about. Stay true to that. Stay true to this pattern of sound words that you've heard from me. Now, what's going to motivate Timothy to have a spirit of power, love, and self-control in the face of potential suffering? What's going to drive him to follow this pattern that he learned from Paul? What's going to drive you to maintain this pattern that God has spoken to this body and to you personally, this, this truth that has changed your life? What's going to drive you to stay true to that in the face of people who are saying, no, you need to add something to it? It's important that we understand that because this, this is going to be what you need as you walk out the doors today. As we continue to walk in and, and fish for men in this community, men who are dead in religion, men who are dead in, in the trespasses and sin, we need, they need a message from us, and you're going to face opposition. So Paul tells us. Verse 9, he says, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I am appointed a preacher and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Paul says, listen, he says, I want you to stay true to this holy calling. Stay true to it. And here's how you're going to do it. It's going to be focusing on what Jesus did for you. Look, church, I wish I could make it more complicated than that because it would make me sound so smart and, you know, so wise to be able to say to you, you got to really, really, you know, gear up, put all this stuff, you know. Man, it's simple. Look at what he says in this passage. Here's what's going to motivate you, Timothy. Remember this. Don't forget Keep telling yourself this over and over again that Jesus saved you. Number one, he saved us. Jesus saved you. Remind yourself of that. You don't have to please anybody else. Uh, You have been totally made right before God. God is totally pleased with you because Jesus saved you. Remember that. And so when somebody's trying to, to argue with you about what you believe, about the truth that God's given you, you don't have to argue with them. You know why? Because Jesus saved you. You're already saved. Why argue if they're right or wrong? You don't have to worry about that. You know what I think? I think some of us get in the arguments because we're not sure. We're just not sure if Jesus saves us or not. We're not convinced of that. Or we're just not thinking about it. Just remember that. You're already saved. You know, you're already right with God. There's nothing you can do to mess that up. You belong to God. And so that, that's going to give you the ability to walk in the Spirit in the face of opposition. Remember that God called us to a holy calling. God not only saved you, but he has something for you to do. There's a holy calling for your life. And the, your holy calling is this, ready? It's to do the things that God called you to do on the earth that bring glory to his name. That's it. It's what Jesus' cross was. And he said, if, you, if you're going to be my followers, take up your cross. Jesus said to the Father in John 17, he said, Father, I have completed the work you gave me to do on the earth. I have glorified you by completing the work you gave me to do on the earth. That's your job. Just glorify God. Just continue to walk in your holy calling. And remember that God has a calling for you. 
Just love God, love Jesus in front of people. Let, it, let that change your life and give it to people as God gives you the opportunity. Bless people. Begin with prayer. Listen to them. Eat with them. Serve them and share the gospel when God gives you the opportunity. All right, he gave, them, he gave uh, both to us, uh, both of these things to us, the salvation and this calling. He says, before the beginning of time. This was God's plan before the beginning of time, and nothing, when God's hand is stretched out, nothing can turn it back. Who's going to stop God's plan that was predestined before time began from being completed? Rest in that. He abolished death. Death is gone. You'll never die. Rest in that. He brought life and immortality. You're going to live forever. Rest in that. You're going to live forever with God. You're already in eternal life. This life that you're in will never end. It will only get better. Rest in that. So when somebody comes to you in opposition, Paul found that these truths were more than sufficient to bring him the power and the love and the self-control that he needed to sustain him in the face of opposition. Y'all hear that, church? Paul found those truths, the truth of the gospel, that Jesus saves us, called us, uh, that that was done for us before the beginning of time. Nothing could mess with that, that he abolished death, that we have eternal life. Holding on to that and realizing he had that was enough to sustain him in the face of opposition. It was more than enough. He was able to maintain what was an offensive message in the face of opposition and ultimate suffering simply because of the gospel. The gospel is enough. The gospel is enough. Listen to what Paul preaches. When people start trying to tell you that you've got to have more than just Jesus, that the grace of God did not complete the job, and you've got to add to that certain rules and regulations or ways of doing church or ways of doing religion or ways of doing life. When people start putting that on you in the face of that opposition, remember, Paul said no. Paul, who wrote over half of the New Testament, said no. All you need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, when Paul talks about his preaching, it's not complicated. I'm in good company today by not being a complicated preacher. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See where he's adding this dimension. Paul is saying it's not only what you say, but it's who you are. And I know you've seen in my life a radical change, and you see the power of God in me. And, and so let that, be, let that help you to understand how real this gospel message is. It's so funny how Jesus would just... Uh, do miracles, you know, and everybody, they, they, all the Pharisees and teachers of the law and Sadducees were trying to, to get rid of him, and they couldn't for the people because all the people saw the truth of, of, of God in Jesus, and they were attracted to it. And they were afraid to get rid of him because they knew that 
they were going to be, there was going to be an uprising. The same thing's true for Paul. The same thing's true for you. There's a message that this community will grab onto. If we will walk it out, get, get over ourselves, get over this opposition, uh, and I'm saying us because you know where my weakness has been, to quit worrying about what people think about us and walk in the truth, enjoy God in front of people, and then share the truth of the gospel with nothing else added to it. And in the face of opposition, uh, it's going to have its effect. Paul said, that's all I even care to tell about. I don't want to talk about all these the- theological truths and all this, this rules and regulations. Let's just talk about the gospel. Because you know what the gospel does? It changes you. Paul said, the change that you see in my life is a result of me staying focused on one thing, Jesus Christ and him crucified. I have a calling. I have, a, I have salvation. I've been saved. I have a calling. I, I'm walking in that. It was planned for me before the foundation of the world. Nothing can interrupt that. I'm going to continue to, to walk with God because death it doesn't have a hold on me. And, and when this life is over, I continue to live eternally. So what can you do to me? I don't care what you think. Now, that sounded like attitude, and i got to be honest. That's not the attitude of the Spirit. <laughs> it's not the attitude Paul, Paul said that he had. Paul said that and told Timothy, look, don't walk in a spirit of fear, but walk in a spirit of love. Walk in a spirit of self-control. And, and then that is going to also be a spirit of power. When you're confident in what you're walking in, and you're confident that what you're walking in is enough because you've experienced it yourself, that confidence exudes power. People know that power doesn't come from you. It comes from the confidence that you're placing in what God did. You don't have to explain to anybody. You don't have to get intellectual with people. You don't have to take classes in apologetics. You just walk in this authority, in this power. Literally, the word is dynamite, is dynamus, dunamis, which is the same Root word for dynamite. It is powerful power. It's mind-blowing power. People couldn't, couldn't understand why Jesus had this authority. He spoke as one having what? Authority. This power that was demonstrated, not because he had to argue his point, because he walked and his life showed power. Paul was not only, uh, not only found that those truths, these these truths of uh, the truths of the gospel were enough to bring the power and love and self-control uh, to stand in the face of opposition. He also found it sufficient to bring the lost to salvation. Paul said, if we just stand in it, that's enough. In, in his letter to the church at Rome, he said this. He said, for I'm not ashamed, verse 16, chapter 1, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? Power, same word, of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. The power is not in arguing it with you in a way that I can out-argue you. That might be my power, but the power of the Holy Spirit is just don't be ashamed of the gospel. Put it out there. Live it out there. It is the power of God unto salvation for, for those who are lost in our community. Just embrace the, the, the power of the gospel. You don't have to convince lost people that the gospel is true. Jesus will do that for you. The Holy Spirit's job is to convince people that it's true. 
Just live it and share it as God gives you opportunity. That's enough. Paul found these truths to provide sufficient power, love, and self-control to stand in the face not only of opposition, but strong enough, it's sufficient to bring the loss to salvation. It was also, according to Paul, enough to sustain churches around the world. This power of, or this power and this self-control and this uh, love that Paul said we need to have. In 1 Corinthians, he told this to, to the church at Corinth. He says in verse 14 of chapter 4, I did not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some of you are arrogant, as though I were not come, coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out uh, not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Man, it can't get any clearer than that. This is what's going to sustain churches across the world. It's the power of the gospel having its effect in your, in your life and in my life. That's what's going to sustain churches across the world. It's not going to be our creativity. It's not going to be our programming. It's not going to be our mission efforts. It's not going to be us sending uh, people out. It's going to be us being devastated by the, by the gospel. It's going to be us reminding ourselves and being reminded and constantly saying over and over again, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Look at what God did for you. It's enough. Look at what God wants for the world. It's enough. When we can get that gospel in us, really work with the Holy Spirit to embrace the gospel in its entirety. There is no fear in the face of opposition. There's no fear in being witnesses in the community. There's no fear in that God's going to transform the world because this, this truth that you are holding on to, church, listen, the truth that you guys have right now that you are taking for granted, most of you, most of us, most of the time, that truth, that life-changing, transforming truth of God, the grace of God and how far it goes, way further than our sin. The Bible says that where our sin abounds, grace superabounds. The grace of God that is superabounding and ready for the world, you have it. And it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. No one can take that away from you. Which means what? It means I can walk out into the world. Someone can tell me I'm wrong. I can say, no, I'm not. But it's okay. Man, I love you. I really do. I wish you could see this truth through my eyes. And, and maybe one day you will. I don't have to get upset about that. I can have self-control by the power of the Spirit. Because the Spirit reminds me of the gospel. I can have love for those people. Because... I'm filled with the Spirit. The Spirit gives me love for them. And instead of feeling angry with them, I can feel sorry for them. And I can reach out to them and make sure that I handle them in a way that draws them to the truth of the gospel. And those two things that the Holy Spirit gives me is the power of God.
to salvation. It's the gospel's and the gospel's effect in my life. It's the truth and the words and the way we describe it, but it's the effect that the gospel has in my life. So at the at the close of Paul's life, Paul wanted Timothy to understand that conceited religious people would see his message as a threat because it 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 was too simple and it caused attention uh, to be given to. Uh, to God instead of to those in leadership and and uh, and how he stood in the face of the gospel or, fa- or rather in the face of the face of that opposition was extremely significant because it verified that the gospel was indeed enough so I guess the question for us today is this as we take this this lesson to heart and we think about it. Are we filled with fear when it comes to opposition? Are we filled with fear when it comes to sharing our faith? Are we filled with fear about the possibility that God might call us to go and touch uh, other, other towns, cities, countries, other places around this city? Are we filled with fear when we see the task that God has before us, the calling that God has? Are we filled with fear when we see that that you are representatives, and this church is a representative of Christ in a very religious community who will oppose the simplicity of the gospel, who will tell you, yes, the gospel, but, and then they'll add to it whatever it is that's significant to them. Are we filled with fear? Or have we preached the gospel enough to ourselves? And are we embracing that enough that instead we have power and love and self-control in the face of opposition. That we have power and love and self-control in the face of lost, sharing, sharing, lost, uh, sharing Christ with the lost. Do we have a spirit of power and love and self-control when we think about going off and starting another church or being a part of a new work in another place? That's the question today. Paul would say to us, like he said to Timothy, Be strong. Remember that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power of love and self-control. And in the face of that, the reason why you can do that is because he saved us. He called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Jesus Christ before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. We have that to sustain us. We have that to empower us. So we just need to rest in it. Here's our Ebenezer. It's Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. That's our Ebenezer. That's when we look at that stone, we can say, it's not our effort. Our effort was 20 years ago when we tried our best to do whatever church people do. Our Ebenezer is Jesus Christ in the gospel alone. Jesus Christ and him crucify the transforming power of God on our behalf, given to us as a free gift. That's the power. All right, that's our Ebenezer. So let's raise our Ebenezer, all right, like they did. Let's remember that. Let's, let's not let that leave our minds. And in the face of opposition this week, when you face it, I hope you'll build a new habit of remembering what Christ did for you and what he did in you and that that's enough. You don't have to be 
You don't have to prove yourself to anybody. Rest in him alone. All right, let's pray. Fathers, we pray this morning as we close out this time of worship and, and teaching. Lord, my prayer today is that we would follow the pattern of sound words that you have given us through Paul in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Lord, help us. We need to guard the good deposit entrusted to us. We are guilty of taking this beautiful truth for granted rather than letting it be our motivation, the very thing that moves us to operate in this world and to face opposition with power and love and self-control. Today, God, may we commit to that. Help us as we do. Empower us in our commitment. Father, we pray that you will sustain us in the face of opposition, that we will find the gospel to be enough to give us what we need for that. We pray that you would empower us with power, love, and self-control as we bring the lost to salvation. And Father, that you would empower us with power, love, and self-control as we are part of sustaining churches across the world. We love you, God, and thank you for your calling. Thank you that you are all we need, that you're, we, we need nothing else. God, help us to rest in that today and to rejoice and worship as we close.